Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day. Hello, I'm Rundown producer Justin Bull. Today, we're dipping back into the archives again. This is part two of Aaron's conversation with the Knapp Bishop, Trisha Hersey. What's up, Chicago? I'm Aaron Allen, and this is The Rundown. Trisha Hersey is a performance artist, writer, activist, and this one is important. She is a daydreamer. She organizes community naps and advocates for rest through her work with the NAP ministry. I started a conversation with her about all of this on Monday. So if you missed that part of our chat, you don't need it to get oriented here. But at some point, I recommend you go back and get those gems as well. Trisha is also the author of a new book, a New York Times bestseller called Rest is Resistance, a manifesto. Tenets of the NAP ministry. Number one, rest is a form of resistance because it disrupts and pushes back against capitalism and white supremacy. Number two, our bodies are a site of liberation. Number three, NAPs provide a portal to imagine, invent, and heal. Number four, our dream space has been stolen and we want it back. We will reclaim it via rest. Throughout the book and her work, Hersey confronts how grind culture upholds capitalism and white supremacy. And she says those systems of oppression are what keep us from resting. I'm not surprised that she sees these issues as especially insidious in the United States. It's a different flavor of white supremacy here. Like, I've traveled all over the world, and it's just a different Ooh. level of toxicity here, which is really interesting because when you think about chattel slavery and the history of that, um, what was created here on plantations, you know, slavery and indentured servitude have been happening all over the world for centuries. Yes. But to see what was done here is such an evil mm. American invention that is that people look at it and be like, wow, like, that's some real deep level thing that they were able to create and um, have us on plantations and work in a body. So capitalism was really invented and experimented with on these plantations and watching what a body could do, trying mm-hmm. to automate a body. Could a human body go, could it work for 24 hours a day and never stop? Like to experiment on um, black bodies in that way, it's just very um, violent when you really get into the research of it. But when I travel to other places around the um you know, the world, it's a different energy. I lived in Morocco for a year when I was in my 20s. And me as an American walking over there and being like, um, I got to go do this thing at 12 o'clock. I got to go on this meeting. I got to go. And then you walk and like every store is closed. I'm like, why is the store closed from 12 <laughs> to 2? It's like, it is shut down. Like there's yes. nothing you can do from 12 to 2. There, just like go home and go lay down. Go sleep. Yes. Go sit under go a tree. Eat, like, go sleep. Go eat. Jamaica. I was just in Jamaica um last summer and just like the slow pace of that island life and how people just look at just relaxing more. And like there's a, a sense of leisure that's available in our culture. The idea of leisure does not exist in this culture. Like in this mm. capitalist culture and in this Western American culture, 
anytime you have leisure, you're trying to think about what can I do to make more money? How do you monetize your hobbies? How can you get side hustles? How can you have four or five jobs? You know, it's like, who can have the most jobs? You have one job, but I can also like monetize the fact that I love to crochet. I can sell that and make Mm. money. So there's never the idea of leisure and hobbies. And so when I talk to people here in this culture, they never can tell me what their hobby is or what they do for leisure. Everything is always related to what they do to make money, how they, uh, what they do to labor. And so I think it's so interesting that this work is becoming global now. I was just in Amsterdam last week. I'm going to Norway. Soon I'll be in Australia. I'm traveling a lot more globally this Mm -hmm. year and just watching people connect to this because while it is a different form of toxicity here that's um, more violent, I believe, capitalism is a global um, tool and also white supremacy is a global tool that has been abusing bodies for centuries. And so no matter where you go on this earth, white supremacy reigns. I really think it's important that we begin to um, uncover and look at the ways that we're deeply connected. This work does come from a Black liberation lens. I'm a Black woman. Every section of the book I dedicate to some Black liberation texts, Audre Lorde, James Cone, womanism, my grandmother. Every piece is dedicated to Black scholarship and Black thought. Black liberation is a bomb for the world. And so when Black folks are free, the rest of the culture, the rest of the world gets free. And so it can drop into a place that looks at the interconnectedness of being human. Mm. Something else that connects us globally, right, is climate change. What are some of the things that are around us that would be affected when Mm -hmm. we rest? I know. Yeah, I did an amazing interview with a climate change environmentalist around this. And I talk a little bit about it in my book. I say that the earth needs to rest, that late stage capitalism is killing us. And also then the planet itself is suffering and dying because of what we are doing how we are laboring 24-7, never stopping, how people are mining, how what they're doing to the water, the production that we're keeping it going, that we're never giving the earth a moment to rest. I remember when um, the pandemic happened, you know, when the mm-hmm. first, I would say like March, April, May, yep. like 2020 when it landed here and it was like, silence and like there were no cars on the road animals were coming back out from out (laughs) of the bushes like oh my gosh the humans are in the house I can you know it was like deers were on the expressway (laughs) birds are chirping louder like the earth was giving us like three months two months moment to kind of regenerate itself but quickly after that it, it was like people couldn't even take that as a sign they didn't even want to accept it it was like people just could not slow down and could not stop the ministry got so much attention during that time. It was so many mm. people reaching out, like people began to kind of really begin to see themselves and to see what was happening when it came to labor and what capitalism was really doing to us. And so I think um, if we could slow down, if we could just have a moment, take a beat that everyone on the planet would truly, truly benefit from and the planet itself would also benefit greatly. Yeah. Part two of your book is called Dream. Mm -hmm. This one and part three, Resist, they feel so connected to me Mm -hmm. because resisting is so often a product of the dreaming that we do. Um, Mm -hmm. We we dream a new reality and then we, we do something about it. Who are the Maroons? Yes, 
a lot of people have probably heard of like the West Indian and Jamaican maroons like that is something I remember learning about when I was like in world history classes. But like I said in the book, I didn't learn about the American maroons. So I was like in my 40s and I was like a graduate student studying black liberation and theology. I was a historian working in archives and I had never heard of this. So it's just like very um, important that we uplift how much of our history has been erased, Mm -hmm. how much they're trying to keep history from us as we know what's happening right now in the school systems. And so the Maroons were people who said no. (laughs) They were the deepest resistors and they didn't necessarily see resistance um, like most people see it. Like when I look at them, they didn't think that they were necessarily doing something that was that unique. They just knew that I have autonomy over my body. We do not want to call them fugitives. They weren't fugitives. It's amazing how we criminalize <laughs> we criminalize it, people yes, for to be, wanting to be free. Wanting to be free and um, <laughs> to be like, no, yeah. I'm not going to be a part of that. I know you have the plantation going over here. You want me to be on that land. Yeah. I'm not going to be there. So they were like people who were jumping off slave ships when they were pulling up and to never be seen again. They were leaving mm. plantations to go live in caves and go live in trees and in the deep swamp of Virginia and enjoy. Georgia. They were deeply here in Georgia, Mississippi, all over the South. There were these people who simply said, I'm not a part of that. When I think about this deep refusal, I look yes. to the Maroons as such a model, especially for today. When you look at people right now, today, when I'm online counseling people and they're like, I'm like, you know, you can rest, you know, you can you know, slow down a little. Oh, I could never do that. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't do that? I literally had people email me 10 paragraph like dissertations about why they can't rest, why this idea around rest and resistance doesn't make sense to them, why this sounds good, but it must be coming from a privileged place. And I'm like, wow. And those, whatever, how long it took you to type this, you could have been resting. Mm. <laughs> you could have been resting. That's your the first thing I thought when you said paragraphs. Yes, I'm like, could, I mean, paragraphs in, in <laughs> minutes, you could have been daydreaming. Yes. You could have been staring at a tree. You could have been having a moment of silence like my grandmother would do. You could have laid down and put your feet up for two seconds. And instead you're telling me why it can't work. And it just shows how deep in crisis we are that we're at this point now with all this technology all the things that we have around us that our ancestors didn't have. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have all this extra money. My grandmother was suffering from PTSD. She had was in deep poverty, but mm. she was working two jobs, raising eight children, and she still was able to hold court for her own rest and sit in her house and close her eyes to listen mm. 30 minutes to an hour every day. It's really at a certain point where you're just going to have to understand that we become grind culture. It has been so indoctrinated in us that we keep these systems going, that we believe things that aren't true about ourselves and about our life. To think that we don't have 10 minutes to close our eyes and rest. They think that this sounds nice, but it's not for me. That's for someone who's privileged. And I'm like, no, I started this organization when I had negative $25 in my account. Like I had no money. I was right out of school. I didn't have much, but I knew that I had my body 
And I knew that I trusted my body more than I would trust these systems. And so I said, let the chips fall where they may. I'm going to slowly rest. I'm going to slowly reclaim my body from these toxic systems that don't love me, that still owe a debt to my ancestors. I really think that it's important that we um, look to the Maroons and look to what they were doing and read their stories and understand what they were doing, how trickster they were, how subversive that no one is going to give you rest in this culture. If you can understand that and really sit with the grief of that for a little bit, understand that this is going to be a meticulous love practice that's going to take a lifetime. I say that in the book. I say, if you're picking this book up and think it's going to be a quick, fast, 10 ways to be able to um, <laughs> rest, then this isn't the book for you. Like, this is literally a lifetime. And I'm grateful for that. I'm really grateful for the idea that I don't have to rush my healing, that I don't have to rush this, that I can take my time and experiment with finding joy for myself and understand the ways in which I deserve rest and that rest is my birthright. That isn't anything I have to earn. Yes. What happens when we're exhausted, when you're burnt out, when you're stressed out, when you're really suffering from deep sleep deprivation, you really can't see yourself and you can't mm. see each other. You know, you become a robot and a zombie who's only focus is on how to make a dollar, how to make a coin, how to make money. Yeah. And I understand that poverty is real and it is always a threat, like because it is a systematic, it is something that's created by the system. It's a policy um that has happened. That's why poverty is is here. So I understand that it is the reality for many people it was a reality for me. I grew up from a legacy of poverty. And so I don't want to dismiss it that we do have to eat, we have to work, but I want people to get off the binary to understand that it's more than two ways. It's more than two choices. It's like, it's not just exhaust myself, be disconnected, be sleep deprived and burnt out, or I don't eat. You know, there's like so much beautiful space in the middle. Yes. You know, there's so many beautiful ways that we can like come in the middle and find ways to find rest and reimagine it for ourselves. I I give examples in the book of what resting could look like for you. How yeah, I wonder um, so many times in the book, right, you just start listing ways to rest, types of rest. It almost seems like, you know, as you're writing, it just starts to interrupt and flow through, <laughs> oh, yes. um, you know, how, how, how. One of my favorites is on page 101. And um, I'm just going to play some of that from your audiobook. Rest is a dream made real, a portal, an honest place a trusting place, a sacred refuge, a dissertation-length longing, rest works, rest dreams, infinite power moving, care surrounding us. Rest is a gift and an antenna, an ancient call dangling on the tips of tongues from a head lightly connected on a silk pillow. Rest is holding us close. Rest is home. Mm. One of the things that you talk about in the book on that strand of, of types of rest and how to rest is this concept of active versus passive rest. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask you to talk about the ways that we can rest. I mean, there, there are so many um, oh, different man. iterations of that. Yeah, I think this is my favorite, one of my favorite things to talk about when it comes to my work, because it's deeply in the concept of reimagination, of, of understanding that we're going to have to reimagine what rest is in a capitalist system. To wait for capitalism to fall, I don't have any type of like 
imaginings that is going to fall in my lifetime, but I'm not going to wait for that. I'm still going to be here and going to find ways that I can reimagine it for myself. And so I think about expanding what resting is, daydreaming. I think daydreaming is one thing that I've really been landed on a lot is this idea of just holding space to just be, to mm. just stare at a tree, to be out in nature. I'm thinking about walking in nature. I'm thinking about also uh, dancing. When I was taking ballet classes, I talk about my ballet mm-hmm. journey of taking ballet and somatics classes when I was in school about how we can connect with our body and we can feel and we can connect our minds and bodies to each other. And so rest is anything that slows you down enough that your body and mind can connect, that you can breathe. So I love meditation. I love prayer. I love um, listening to music. And so music is a real important part of the ministry. We have a lot of playlists. We always play either recorded or live music at all of our collective napping experiences. We help them to open a portal for us to go into this rested state together um, via music and sound healing and sound bowls. And so Mm. I think the idea of listening to an album without any stops completely from beginning to end is really a beautiful moment of rest I think of eye contact with someone mm. as being a form of Ooh, that's one of my favorites. It's a favorite one, right? It's like <laughs> a deep, settling, safe space to be in. Um, drinking tea, the ritual of making tea, like especially from loose leaf tea, where you have to take your time mm. and really concentrate with the water and watch it boil. Like the ritual. Um, I think about ritual so much when I think about resting and taking baths, you know, taking more time. I watched my mother when I grew up. She would spend probably an hour just getting dressed, like like the meticulous way that she would lay her clothes out. She would run her bath water after the bath. She would sit and put, you know, Jergens lotion all over her body. You know, she would just start from her feet and just rub her whole body <laughs> yes. down. I would just watch her take care of herself and just care for her body and love her body and slowly meditate. It was almost became meditative to mm-hmm. see her do that, to not rush, you know. Yeah, so putting that lotion idea, on can be very meditative. Lotion, it's, it's very meditative. <laughs> yes. Say butter, all of that. And she would just yes. take her time. So this idea of not rushing, of just being, of sitting on the porch and, you know, hugging, dancing, you know, connecting with your body, what the what the culture does when you're exhausted, when you're pushing your body and not listening to it. And so your body has this need for rest and instead you ignore it because you've been trained to do so. Mm-hmm. You say, I'll just, I'll rest, I'll do it tomorrow. Like the more that we ignore the cues that our body is giving us, the more we become disconnected and disembodied. And so anything that we can do to bring us back to our bodies and to feel, to get out of our heads, to slow down, to connect, I believe are forms of rest. So I think it's infinite. Yeah. Trisha Hersey, also known as the Nap Bishop, is a performance artist, activist, theologian, and daydreamer. She also gave us the gift that is the Nap Ministry, and her new book is called Rest is Resistance, a Manifesto. Trisha, thank you. Thank you so much, Erin. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Klee for editing the show. Brendan Banizak is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Louis Weeks. The Rundown is produced by WBEZ Chicago and is a part of the NPR Network. If you love the show, please rate and review us. It helps more people find The Rundown. I'm Erin Allen. 
Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you later.